0: I'm not funny, in particular, but the, there are a the story is funny. Out, uh, yeah, moments of this um, campaign. It's a funny sure. story, but when you book... mocked me, no, I'm <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I definitely make fun of you and myself.
0: If um, you think about this, you were completely anonymous, had no business getting into the great, like, the biggest stage of politics, right? And myself and the early team had combined years of political experience totaling zero. Like we had no business running a presidential campaign, yet. We outlasted dozens of sitting senators, governors, representatives. I okay, said, so we built the Yang Gang with podcasts, memes, and math.
1: The Yang Gang, you're gonna love this because this is a book that you were hoping I would write, but it did not, and so Zach wrote it. For the first time ever, The Forward Podcast, two-part conversation with the most important author of our time, Zach Grauman. Ah, hey man, that's yeah. an intro. Oh, so it's, it's fun because people who have gotten into the pattern know uh, we do a lot of uh, books here, a mm-hmm. lot of authors on Monday, and then you and I come together on Thursdays often to talk yeah. about what's going on. So, so this, this is like, like a, a combination, combination, a team, team up, where this is going to be both us discussing what's going on, and most importantly, discussing long shot, how political nobodies took Andrew Yang National and the new playbook that let us build a movement by the campaign manager, Andrew Yang, for president, quote by yours truly, on the jacket, saying, my campaign would never have reached millions without Zach's leadership and strategies. Anyone who wants to make change in the world or who simply loves an incredible story should read this book. Look at that. I will say it is weird. I've done
0: a couple podcasts. I haven't come out yet, but I've done a couple pods and doing more. This is another one. It's weird talking about your own book, man. We've said this before. It's like weird writing one. It's now weirder talking about it.
1: Welcome to my world. Yeah, dude. <laughs> You're like, hey, You're
0: like, I don't know. It's very uncomfortable. You're like, hey, thanks for reading my work of, I don't want to say work of art, but my work of labor of love. My my child that i birthed to the world long shot i think the yang gang is gonna like it though
1: the yang gang you're gonna love this because this is a book that you were hoping i would write but it did not and so zach wrote it uh <laughs> like if you were hoping for blow by blow and scenes and something that feels a bit more like a screenplay or feature film that's long shot i think there's a movie called long shot so when they make a movie out of this they will have to call it something have to call it something cooler something different uh but your Write that uh, – it's personal when you write a book. I do think you have the healthiest relationship with a book I've ever seen from an author, uh, first-time author. Because most authors, you can sense that there's like a real uh, thirst to try and get the book out there and have it validated. You so, you have like a very healthy thing where you're like, yeah, I wrote a book, proud of it, like it. Shrug. People will you – know, <laughs> I'm excited about the book, but it's not – I think. yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, we were well, talking about this a
0: bit. I think – it's because we spent so much time, and I personally spent so much time trying to sell your book. And I loved your book. I was a fan of you, obviously, but I really like one of the reasons, probably the biggest reason I joined your presidential campaign was because I, the book was right, and I was into the book. And that was, for lack of a better phrase, a huge bitch to sell.
1: <laughs> like it was, it was good. It's funny it because timely. you had that experience. Yeah. Really. And it was
0: awful to sell. Um, and we weren't, obviously we weren't just selling books, but as like the message itself was hard. And, uh, you know, you really, you didn't make the New York Times bestseller list until you literally gave it a, as a gift to Liz Warren on one of the debate stages with, you know, tens of millions of people watching. Um, and we, we are already a sensation. You were already a national figure then. Right. So it's, um, Books are hard. Uh, the best, you know, some of the best books that make the bestseller list or, you know, make millions of dollars. They sold a couple like thousands of copies. We're talking tens of thousands of copies, not hundreds of thousands. So books are hard. It's a different market. So, I mean, for me, I'm excited it's out there. I think it'll do like it'll be fine. And, and there's, there's been a lot of you reached out and said you're really interested and a lot of you bought it, which is exciting. But also, I, I think it'll stand the test of time. I think it's a good story and it'll be there for later in my career and life and stuff. Hopefully, you know, my kids will read it someday. It'll be fun.
1: Again, a very, very healthy relationship. So we were joking about my first book that came out when I was the head of a nonprofit. And you're like, Oh, I should have written a book when I was still the head of a nonprofit, because then it becomes (laughs) this uh, gift for the supporters of the nonprofit and the org wants to get behind it. Yeah. So like
0: this machine of people hyping it up. You know? Yes. And, you know, it's,
1: it kind of has this wholesome tinge. Yeah. So uh, I'll tell you my arc uh, and why I can relate. Um, so I started Adventure for America in 2011. Yep. And then in 2012, um, I was named one of the 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company. Wow. Do you apply for that or they just came out of nowhere and said, we like you? It was totally random. Okay. What, what happened was I met one uh, one of the or the editor of Fast Company at the time, uh, Robert Safian, got it, and he just was like, "Huh," <laughs> uh, and uh, and then uh, mu- on, and then a month on. later, someone's like, "Hey, we think you should be on this list," uh, and at the time, uh, I was like, "Well, dope, you know, anything that helps get the message out about right. um, the the org," and so I then six months later got a call from a literary agent saying, "Hey, have you thought about writing a book?" And the, reason, call you. the the literary agent called me because they had uh, paid like a scout who was like a junior agent mm-hmm. who was meant to kind of look for interesting author prospects. Wow. So she found me from the Fast Company list. Mm-hmm. And so I got an email from someone saying, hey, I represent uh, Bird Lavelle, literary right, agent. Did right, right. should write a book. We want to have lunch with Bird. And so it was very flattering. I mean, you Google the agent's very legit and yeah. you know, Bird's a very legit agent. Uh, and so I have lunch with him and he's like, hey, and a and bird's like a handsome, well-dressed guy. You know, like, yeah. He'd be like, hey, did you totally write a book? Like, that'd be great. Like it was very That's awesome. flattering. Um, but here's the 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 funny part is that I said no, because I was like, I'm busy trying to start this nonprofit. Writing a book seems like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure quite how it helps drive things for my nonprofit. So as flattering as this is, I just don't think I have the time or the energy. Right.
0: That is, uh, I mean, it's one of the reasons why, what are the, what's the joke? Like those who can't do teach, which yeah. I don't really love. Um, but it, you know, there's, some of it's like, part of the reason you start teaching is because you're not able to do, right? Like if you are teaching or writing or doing that, you, you're you you're not operating as much. Um, it's very difficult to write a book in general. It's harder to do it when you've got other things on your plate, particularly a startup organization. So uh, I felt that I had COVID working in my advantage. Um, So instead of like going out some nights because there was nowhere to go and crank on a book. 2020 was a good Um, year to crank on a book. It's true. Um, But no one recruited me to write the book. I had to, you know, (laughs) I don't want to say beg, but I had to go out and ask some agents, would you be interested in this story?
1: Um, Well, hey, just the fact you got an agent and you got a publisher is a big deal and accomplishment.
0: Yeah, it felt great. And I mean, here's what I've been saying about the book is that um, the book is about our campaign and it's. I'm not funny in particular, but the, there the a couple story of is funny. About, yeah, yeah. Moments in this um, it's a funny story. But the when book you mocked
1: me. No, I'm <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> I, I definitely make fun of you and myself. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like a, accurate. Like, <laughs> is it really, like, sure. No, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah.
0: But I would say, um, as much as the book is about uh, the campaign and um, and you and and our journey, it's actually it's actually not about you. Um, and that's kind of my why, why I wanted to write it is that. If you think about this, you were completely anonymous, had no business getting into the great, the biggest stage of politics, right? And myself and the early team had combined years of political experience totaling zero. Like We had no business running a presidential campaign, yet we outlasted dozens of sitting senators, governors, representatives. Uh, We raised hundreds or millions, almost $40 million from hundreds of thousands of donors in small increments. We popularized a lot of policies, not just cash relief, a bunch um, that are still talked about or implemented today. You outpulled our sitting vice president uh, in her home state, uh, qualified for seven debate stages. All these things happen, right? And we did not particularly know what we're doing. We had no experience, right? So to me, that is not just telling about you, but that's telling about a bigger picture and there's something bigger there. And that's why I want to write about. Like the game has changed, like split between what the media is doing, the traditional way of doing things and where most Americans are. And you and I were very clear eyed in that from the beginning. Um, so that's why I wanted to write because I felt like it needed, like the takeaway from Andrew and your campaign is not UBI. Um, and it's not that this random guy ran for president, the takeaway from Andrew in the campaign was that the game has changed and we just built a brand and a movement because of that uh, almost overnight.
1: So that's why I wrote it and I th- uh, hopefully got that message across. So so you say that uh, we had a grand total of zero years of political experience and that's no accident in the sense that anyone I talked to who had political experience was so negative on the idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, there was an inverse relationship between political experience and thinking Andrew Yang should run for president. Yes, for for sure.
0: Yes. Um, I grew up. uh, I was always fascinated. My mom was a teacher. My dad was an engineer type. So I was always interested in like for profits and nonprofits, how they work together. Um, And while I wanted to be a teacher coming out of college, um, I was close to taking a job for venture for America, like save the world. Like mom, I had a ton of student loan debt. So I took the Wall Street job. Um, which is the other job offer I had, so I started working on Wall Street in New York. But I started volunteering. I started suit up. How close did you come to joining Teach for America out of college? In close, I. It's. I mean, mainly because I didn't have that many job offers. I was not good. I tried the like. I don't know if you ever. You guys listening have ever done the tried to do the consulting path? Did you explore like? No, I did not. But I, I know it well. So that, like you know the paths. So it was like investment banking, consulting. Uh, there's law medicine and uh what's the fifth one or there's there's six tech you, and, then, and then uh business school yeah okay um so i was not there's these things called case studies uh, that consultants make you do which is like how many ping pong balls fit into the empire state building or look at this you know here's this problem this company's having how would you solve it and i was awful at them awful like so like i'm never it was one of the few things i like really really tried and just like my brain doesn't think like that big. Like, I don't, I'm either too big picture or too in the weeds in the, on the fly like that. Um, and so I didn't have the main job offers to answer your question. I could have worked at a marketing firm, kind of. And then the, the big two were Teacher America in post Katrina New Orleans with special needs kids or uh, work on Wall Street at UBS. Um, and I was, I remember walking around campus like really hating the decision because you can either, like have a good impact and help a lot of people make no money um, or make some money, but not really care about your impact at all or have any impact. I hated that. Um, but I was close. Like Teach for America, they kind of forgive your federal loans. They do some good stuff. So I would have got, because, like,
1: because you owed almost 200,000. Yeah. That it maybe? was
0: like about 200. It's a lot. It's a lot. And then with interest in it, you know, it just ended up being too, I think I ended up paying like 240 on that range. Um, and that's like with like a, my parents helped out for like a semester or so. And college is fucking expensive, man. Yeah, Jeez. dude. And then I got some scholarship money. Um, it was awful. Um, my brother did a masters cuz he kind of had to find like he was cuz he was graduating in 2000, you know, like we we're both graduating in 2010, 2011. Like it wasn't we weren't good times to uh, be trying to get into banking if you will as post the 2008 2009 kind of crisis. <laughs>
1: that's expressvpncom slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. So you made the big choice to move to New York City. Yeah. And join UBS. Join UBS. I was, my,
0: that's the thing. I was like, I did it for the money. Like I, my first salary was like, around probably like 60 grand a year. I mean, there was a bonus, but it wasn't huge. Um, I remember I had like $200 in my bank account. I had a mattress, like a crock pot. That was pretty much what I moved with. Um, I was in like a little bit of clothes. Uh, and you know, a shit ton of debt. That was pretty much it. So I was like rent and then loans start at like $800 a month. Yeah. Like that's what they really get. Like you, have, like you have six months to you know save up a bit. Like, um, yeah, and rent was whatever, 1,700 It was not a good time, um, but also, like, a fun time. New York City is a really good city to be
1: rent-poor in, yeah.
0: you know, because you can— Because meet, you had
1: roommates in that jazz, You can be right?
0: roommates. You can live on top of each other. You can find social opportunities. We actually cheap. met through one of your roommates, right? Yeah. So my roommate, Joe Guy, one of them, uh, he's got the—Joe Guy. Uh, I always be like—every time I was mad, I'd be like, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, he's a really good guy. But uh, Joe Guy's a really good guy. But— uh, he worked at Venture for America and was, like, oh, so yeah, no, excited wow, sure. about it. Um, so that's how we met. I was working at UBS. I started SuitUp, and I was looking for legitimacy. And that's the thing we felt on the presidential campaign. So SuitUp,
1: you talk about it in the book in detail, but SuitUp is the nonprofit that you founded while uh, doing your day job. So it was, it was kind of a lot.
0: Yeah. So, like, one of the – so I saw the two things. So I started volunteering a lot just to keep my sanity for, like – just pushing paper, if you will, or making rich people richer. I was in wealth management. Um, And started volunteering at this school down in Coney Island, uh, near Coney Island, Brooklyn. And we asked the kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like that, you know, just like, and it wasn't like a specific survey. It was just like the annual survey, right? And they all said they were middle schoolers. And they all basically said they wanted to be like LeBron James or Nicki Minaj. It was like, or Beyonce. It was like athlete or pop stars, like 80% or so of the kids. And it was, like, heartbreaking in a sense because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. But these kids didn't know what they could be. They didn't know their options, um, generally speaking. Or, like, dentist, doctor, whatever, the you know, maybe more traditional career career paths seemed just as far-fetched as LeBron, right? Um, so, uh, but the other thing I saw was at UBS is that we, at, in core, we being corporate America, were are pretty bad at volunteering. Um, we would do, like, we do park cleanups and soup kitchens. We build terrible houses. We went and scraped barnacles off the side of the Intrepid, which is a military boat here in no. New York, in like 100 degree heat in August. It was awful. Such a terrible day. Uh, and I just remember, like, why do these companies suck so much at this? It's like they don't care and it's not easy for them. So I started just running my own volunteer days for my team at UBS. And I was like, my kids could would love to work with you guys for a day. So we did. Uh, something I thought would be fun would be like just a business competition for a day. So we brought my team from UBS down to, uh, my school in Brooklyn. And the kids were tasked with being the CEO of Nike for a day and had to create a new Nike shoe. And so they had to divide into teams of like 10. They got assigned UBS coaches and they had to, you know, create that, create a design, a new shoe for Nike. So they had to pick a target market and design and brand the shoe and, uh, pick a celebrity endorsement and then act out a commercial or make a marketing pitch. And then the winning team got real money. They got like an Amazon. Well, I learned the hard way. Don't give them real cash. You can't do giving middle schoolers cash. But you give them an Amazon gift card, Um, like the real world. And you you say that, like, you work hard in school, you get an A, but you work hard in the real world, you get paid. Um, And what happened was, like, everybody, I mean, I, I say this, like, humbly, but everybody loved it. It was like, wow, my volunteer day was actually fun. And the kids, like, you could see them Like their eyes lighting up like, oh, shit, this is why I do math. So I can add up how much my shoes going to cost. Like it was just like this connection for um, and I had, you know, I've done it now where teachers have cried to me. And, you know, the the kid that's got the hoodie on in the corner all day is the one that lights up the room because of a project like this. Um, And what happened was I was working at UBS and we did this once or twice at UBS. And then some guy from PIMCO called me like the Asset Management Fund. He's like, hey, my friend did this volunteer thing. Can you guys do it for PIMCO? I was like, I mean, I I guess so. That sounds fun. Uh, The next thing you know, I got more and more companies calling, and I started a a nonprofit. And uh, now I'm proud to say it's the million-dollar organization. We've got... Nine full time employees, and wow. um, we worked with everybody. You can name a company, at least in New York, um, like by 150 corporate partners and tens of thousands of kids and volunteers. Um, so you show up to work in 2010, and then you start this when? 2014. So I was like, but I'd like effed around. I had like dabbled. I really, I founded the org, like LL or the 501c3, was 2014. But probably a year and a half in, I started like really seeing what this could be. But I iterated a lot.
1: Anyone who wants to check it out can go to volunteersuitup.org to see. It's a thriving nonprofit that Zach started. So you started in 2014, and then Joe introduces the two of us in what, 15, 16?
0: Yeah, when I was looking to be more legit. Uh, So I was looking, so in the campaign we were looking for legitimacy, and this is a big thing, especially we're selling to legitimate buyers, right? Let's call it companies. they wanted to know, was I real? Was I, was this a legitimate thing, right? Um, so I was looking just for like cool people to say, hey, uh, we you put your name on it. So I remember meeting with you. and I was excited to meet with you because you also were, you had started a nonprofit. It was stuff I wanted to pick your brain on. And you, I gave you the pitch like this is great. And you asked a couple questions. questions like, this is awesome, man, how can I help? And I was like, can I you can join our advisory board? The ask is literally just let me put your name on the website so I can say, yeah, these are cool people that think this is a good idea. And you, like, did not miss B. Like, absolutely, man. And it was, like, very Andrew Yang. You're like, yeah, let's do it, um, which I love. We'll always respect that um, because it costs you essentially nothing. I mean, like, if the org, you know, was, you know, stealing money or something, I guess maybe it would hurt you. But that's probably it. Um, but it helped me tremendously, right? Because um, I was looking. The model is companies pay us to run the volunteer days. So it's a, it's essentially a business. So I was when when Andrew Yang. I was able to get other people and then, Uh, And now I don't have a legitimacy problem anymore, which is great, but that's the hardest part when you're first starting out, you know? Well,
1: you know, other companies just look at the company roster and are just like, yeah. Yeah, now like, oh,
0: Goldman did it. That's Uh, all. But but it
1: is a startup thing. You have to find a way to give yourself that uh, legitimacy halo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, if you're a serial founder, then you can skip that part sort of because everyone's like, oh, like, you know, you.
0: Yeah, right. That's once you, it's your first, I mean, you're 24, right? And I'm like trying to earn my stripes.
1: So so that was impressive. And then uh you and i connected a uh, couple of years later when i was uh talking about automation and trying to run for president i remember when uh, and you write about, about this, this in detail in the book where you're like, oh, no, Yang, I have to sit through a venture for America field. <laughs> but then it's <laughs> like, well, this is different. And like I went down a yes. totally different path. So
0: you used to. So we ended up. So I ended up. Uh, I was in corporate strategy when suit up was like really taken off and I was running. And uh, so I had these two jobs. And my boss at the time was like, well, look, why don't you check out our client philanthropy team? which didn't really exist. Uh, it was big. We were big in Europe, but we weren't big in the Americas, which is the biggest philanthropy market uh, in the world. We give the United States gives more than any other country, pretty much combined. Like, we are huge, big, big charity world here. Um, and so, built this, helped build this team that uh helped our biggest clients give money to charity. So, I used to invite you to come to a, a bunch of philanthropy events. The UES um, events were such a blast, was a ton of fun. Uh, and it was always a hit. So, it's funny because, like, when Andrew eventually told me he was, you know, getting into politics, I, I had seen him somewhat debate and knew you had like the chops to kind of cut through really well um i've seen you on panels and speaking and stuff but uh yeah i was at these we used to do these these jeffersonian roundtable discussions which is like a pretentious way i talk about in the book of like just like 15 people talking about a topic and you actually hammer it in your new book forward on like what do you call constructive institutionalism yeah which is a lot of people just talking about the problems and potential solutions, but no one actually doing anything. Um, it was very like, much like that. And this was on the future work. You were not on the invite list or maybe on the invite. You were on the guest, like the RSVP list. And you showed up I'm like, ah, I don't want to hear the Yang Venture for America pitch again. Also, like you were like a level above me in terms of like uh, charisma and uh, like accomplishment. So I was like, oh, Yang's going to suck the energy out of the room from from like from what I was trying to get. Right? So I was like, oh, damn it. And then you came in and did essentially the automation bomb. And you're like, this was fresh, guys. This was 2017, maybe summer. I have the dates uh, in the book. Uh, It was early. It might have been spring. Um, It's fresh off the 2016 election. And you're like, you know, talking about these are the top five jobs in the United States. Most people in half the country works in them. And what do they all have in common? We're going to automate them away, if you don't believe me. Look at manufacturing. We've already automated, automated half of these. And where do we do it? Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio. What do they all have in common? Those are states that went from blue to red. They flipped the Trump in 2016, and that's why you won. And then you said, we need to go to universal basic income as soon as possible. So I'm running for president on a platform of universal basic income in 2020. And the room is like silent. All right president of america (laughs) like president of the country and that joke never gets old for me because that's literally everything everybody's thinking but it um hit me like ton of bricks like some of these folks are like laughing or didn't get it um and the rest was just like they're after that they're just picking you apart on whether or not you could win or politics but for me i don't know why i think it's because i grew up middle class i grew up like kind of like kick and scratch and crawl my way just to get a you know, Out of loans, like out of student loan debt. And it just didn't feel like a very sustainable path for my friends from high school, like who I thought were smart and talented, but maybe not great at school. Um, and like the, the folks that were left behind in the economy or struggling in the economy more than I was, this all checked out and all resonated really well, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there are parts of Connecticut that certainly resembled this yeah. post industrial. Um, mm-hmm former manufacturing towns. The other thing is that you'd seen the limits of big philanthropy and you were like, well, this isn't gonna solve the problem. Oh yeah, I knew no
0: one was gonna solve it. Like I knew the, the people with money had no idea this was happening and would not know how to do it, how to fix it if they if they did. Cause I'd seen billionaires, people with quote unquote unlimited money still not be able to solve fucking problems. Yeah, Cause totally. those are hard. Um, the other thing is uh, my dad lost his job uh, or like was in, like had some job transition stuff when I was a kid. And I've seen the impact of that on families. It's awful. Um, and my dad was able to bounce back and like, it wasn't like a long, long period of time, but um, it's like, there was, it still is, but less so, but there's a real tie between a man and his identity and his family in terms totally. of providing. Yeah. And that was rough. My dad was great about it, but I, you know, I learned it more as I got older. Um, I was able to look back, but just imagining like entire communities dealing with what my dad dealt with was like of course like and who would you blame like whoever's in charge who was in charge during this time the clintons right um it totally made sense um and for some reason like no one no one got it it was i was just shocked people weren't jumping out of their seats to help you you know um and then you know the longer i did the more it made sense knowing what i knew about philanthropy and well i mean then, and your book
1: goes into that in painstaking detail it's sort of yeah. fun reliving the fancy salons of the early days, where people would be very happy to share an opinion and not as happy to roll up their sleeves or, or do anything. Uh, so I remember that dinner too. Uh, I had just finished the, like a rough draft of the, like the first part of the book. Um, so when you and I were connecting later, like I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna, like sending you chapters as I've yeah. done." So you kind of see the book come together in real time. Uh, but I remember at the end of that dinner you said to me like, hey man, like I wanna help. And then I was like, wow, Zach would be great. And I'm not sure if you and I used the words campaign manager or even that. I think
0: it was like implied that it'd be like a leadership position, but it was, we had talked about finance director too. We weren't sure, I think, I'm not sure.
1: But I, I remember walking out being like, if, if I get Zach, that would be a freaking uh, home run. Uh, and I wasn't sure if it was going to be campaign manager or finance. Either. I knew that you'd obviously worked with a lot of rich people at UBS, yeah. so I was like, "Oh, that—that's well, that, a win." Um, but also, you were a social entrepreneur that I knew, that like had, right. had had been through a bunch. Um, and so that, like, right. I came away feeling like, "Wow, I really have to try and get Zach out of this campaign." <laughs> uh, and I don't uh-huh. know, how, I didn't know how serious you were at the time yeah. because it's like, well, it's obviously a big fucking leap to go from. Uh, Like a very um, sought after corporate job to the crazy presidential campaign, Uh, which is one reason why I resolved to send you uh, chapters of the book as it, uh, as they were being written. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I remember it's so funny because I got to when writing this book, I got to dive into like our correspondence at the time and I found some old emails and such. And uh, uh, you had said, like, let's let's get caught. Let's catch up. Let's get lunch or something. And we ended up getting coffee a couple blocks away from my office and you show up, you hand me, you like slid it to me almost. It was like pretty, almost, I don't think you intended to be dramatic, but it was almost kind of dramatic like sliding the book across the table, but you handed me Andy Stern's book called Raising the Floor. Um, and you crushed a brownie there, which was hilarious. And I didn't, even you know, you're just like, nom, 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 and like talking, talking, nom, nom, nom. It was awesome. Um, but it was telling about UBI, your plans. And then I remember, um, I remember you showing me, I talk about this in the book, but, uh, the Washington post uh, has like a cool infographic on how much money people raised in the prior elections. And I said, you know, do you think you can win? What's your plan? And you are like, well, you know, it's what well, we really have to raise like a couple million dollars. Um, and I think I can do that with techies who are interested in universal basic income and the Asians, there's no Asian American candidates really in the field. Um, And then if I can get, and here's what the Republicans did. And you were showing me, it was like, and Republicans use super PAC money. So numbers are different. But if you looked at like, you know, Mike Huckabee and Chris Christie and folks, like we could, you know, we're like, if we could raise what they raised, uh, they didn't raise that much. And like, so if you raise what they raised, you'd be theoretically as legitimate. Right. Um, So there was a plan. um, And then you sent. Mean a really positive email I can't I quote in the book but it's like you know let's go change the world or something like uh I'm on fire for this something like that a very classic uh entrepreneur against the world type energy but yeah it was uh it wasn't until I read the whole book where I was like yeah man wow yeah I eventually got the book in piecemeal but yeah
1: yeah I'm super grateful to your brother Jordan because he it sounds like he put you up to it and in part I I appreciate the fact that you guys are reading it together too
0: yeah so I said to Jordan I'm like alright you read it I'll read it cause we both like he had another year or two of getting out of debt I was finally out of debt that's like my timing I'm like alright I'm out like I feel like I just wasted fucking years of my life I get to do something crazy um, that matters and um, I always thought I want to run for office someday so I was like exploring politics in some ways regret that uh, I don't regret that decision but like you know
1: well, we, <laughs> Little did we, I know. We, yeah, we we overexposed you to politics, <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: Conrad Taylor. On our it was on our campaign too. Like like political diehard, and I, I was, he, he did the uh, the mayor's race more in depth. And he's like, I don't think I can do this. Like, but yeah, you. Uh, uh, but it, it, we both read it together, and it was like, uh, you know, let me know what you think. I, you know, we'll give our judgment separately. And I, I jumped out of my bed during part of it, where it's like, I and mean, there's some data in there that. We don't talk about enough. agree. Uh, The biggest one was, I mean, not the biggest one, but the one that, like, hit home to me was that everybody talks about, you know, wealth inequality, the numbers are crazy, and you go down. Like, the average income of certain demographics in the United States are awful. Like, the average income of black male was, what, $11,000 or net worth?
1: Net worth is, uh, like, like 11000 Something like 10% of that of a Um, white family. It was awful. And then the other
0: thing was... um, of the rich, the people that are quote unquote succeeding in this economy, they're just as miserable. Like their their mental health, their happiness, their future prospects—you name it—everybody's miserable. So This isn't even working for the rich. And I was like, holy cow! Um, and you actually had some solutions in there, you know, like UBI. Um, you know, obviously, it's never like nothing's a silver bullet, but it would theoretically um, alleviate a lot of this pain, right? Um, so. Yeah, I was like, well, you know, I think my brother said to me, like, you're an idiot. Uh, he said, I think it was really, he said, like, you're full of shit in terms of, you, you say you want to change the world, say you want to, like, leave a legacy and have an impact in this place. You're full of shit if you don't take the job. Uh, because at the end of the day, the book was right. Like, you were right. Um, and I still believe that. And, that you know, win or lose, we we're, we were going to be right. <laughs>
1: You know, so I, I will say that um, writing The War on Normal People was almost like a spiritual experience for me. Mm. Uh, so, it's like
0: that, uh, what's that song in Hamilton, I
1: Wrote My Way Out? Yeah, it, it really was, I Wrote My Way Out. So I, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, so I eventually call that agent back and be like, hey, like, what does it mean to write a book um, when I was trying to... Elevate the profile of venture for America, and I realized uh, a book might be helpful. Yeah, um, and so I wrote that book, and it had you know some modest success, and then uh, I um just forgot about it. I was like, Well, all right, just like, there we go.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like, Oh, that, that's that.
1: <laughs> uh, and when I say modest success, I mean, like, frankly, like, it felt disappointing at the time because, really? I, because I think if you're anyone aside from you, Zach, like, you write a book and you imagine that people are going to be like, this is like really important. Like tell their that's friends that's like the it. rest that's of it.
0: it. Like imagine if I wrote a book my first time, I wasn't familiar with the space. I'd be like, it's going to be a New York Times bestseller. Everybody reads it, is going to love it. Tell all their friends and we sell thousands of copies. The reality is you're going to sell 50 with your closest friends and family if you're lucky and then you'll skid your way to a couple hundred and no one will give a shit. Uh, that's probably the first author's you know, traditional path, I imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, so, yeah. so, so in I'm my case, I sold, you know, I mean, I, I I sold, you know, whatever, like 10,000 copies or something like that. Yeah. And it's uh, it, great. Your first book? Yeah. That was wonderful. Well, that, th- thanks. Th- thanks.
0: That's what I'm saying. The nonprofit probably helped. You got all the fellows. No, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, great. Like, like people had to. The book is good, though. Read and, it if they wanted and, to apply. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did not have to read it if they wanted to apply. But, <laughs> but you but, totally would. A lot would. of people were VFA. Like, yeah, I read the book. Of course. I mean, you're selling a vision, too. Like, that's. Of course, absolutely. Anybody, I mean, most people who joined the campaign, read the book, right? Um, uh, so, I, yeah. so,
1: so it became like the you know a, a document <laughs> yes. for people who are you're manifest interested you're in, in in venture for America. Yes. Um, so that's in 2014, and then I decided to run for president in 2017. I call my agent, a uh, uh, bird. And i'm like hey man i want to write another book it's about automation uh ubi fourth industrial revolution it's going to be like the foundation of my presidential campaign so we write a book proposal and it's like andrew yang entrepreneur is going to run for president on the ideas yeah. in this book I wrote sold ten thousand last time yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and so uh and and so this was uh, i guess somewhat discouraging so the first thing you do is you go back to your previous publisher in this case harper collins and be like hey your author andrew yang is going to write the book what do you think and then HarperCollins has passed. <laughs> and then, uh, then Bird's well, they like, a- right? They were
0: they had some other issues I think. No, too. no, they were fine. Oh, okay, like, Never they, mind. they thought they just they weren't interested. No, thanks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so then Bird's like, That's okay, Harper has passed. We're now going to go <laughs> to to other publishers and pitch like you know this book. So uh, we got very very few bites. Yeah. Um, it, it was you know like Bird who's incredibly positive was actually concerned, like, <laughs> like, 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 not sure if this yeah, book's going right. to find a publisher. Um, and so then, uh, had ended up making an offer. Um, and it was pretty much the only offer. So, you know, thank you, Paul Whitlatch. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, Thanks, Paul. and then Bird was like, take this offer. <laughs> <laughs> like there was no like, oh, like he's like, take Don't the take offer. It. So I was like, all right, I take it. And then that summer I wrote the war on normal people and. Uh, It felt like uh, like there were all of these uh, these ideas that I'd had on some level, but had never really fleshed out. Mm. Uh, And so I'd go around and find facts. And then the facts were, frankly, staggeringly, like, you know, concerning. Um, You were also front row seeing.
0: Like the byproduct of this, right, like you're seeing the young superstars
1: come out of college right and like, yeah I had that vantage point yeah. I I'd spent five years in the Midwest and the South so yeah. I had that vantage point um so I was stringing together these thoughts that became chapters for war on on normal people and then when the book was done I felt I very vividly I was like if this is the best thing I ever do I'm fine with it really like <laughs> like if this book is it's my nice major contribution to American Life of the World, like fine, like this is the this is the best I'm be ever going to do. Yeah, um, and then that book when it came out in early 2018, to your earlier point, did not make a dent. Yeah, like people were not. And at that point, you'd read it, and you were also like me, being like, "Hey, this book's really good and important." Like, yes. you know, no, more people no, need to read. Th- everybody yeah. needs to read this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and what's interesting, and like fast forward to today. So I wrote another book forward. Um, The War on Normal People still is like the go-to book for me like it's you know frankly like you know like it's sold now Um, last I checked The War on Normal People sold something like 175,000 copies Hachette that really nailed that one,
0: you know? Yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul Whitlatch is like a very, they you know, they took a good like, swing. Like Now he seems precious. for Be, Because
1: again, no publisher, like in that book proposal, it said, hey, Andrew Yang's running for president. No publisher took that seriously. Yeah. Even Hachette, which ended up buying the book, did not take it seriously. But imagine being, the editor took a flyer on the Andrew Yang book, uh, 15 months later when Andrew Yang's like hawking the book on the democratic debates, people be like, Oh, so bird, my agent later said to me, he was like, Andrew, uh, you like, I have never seen anyone follow through on a proposal <laughs> better than you did because you were like, I'm going to run for president. What are I mean? He had like, and he said like, no publisher believed that, yeah, none.' but then we actually, actually did, did, it, did, yeah. did do it. Um, so, uh, so the, the the importance that you're putting on the war on normal people when you were deciding whether to join the crazy campaign or not, yeah. um, makes me feel really gratified because like that that book, uh, getting you on board is like you know, le- you know like the, the biggest deal for the success of the campaign. Um, you know, I can imagine because I have no idea what like what we would have done if you hadn't been there. Yeah, hiring in the early days is very difficult. Um, which you saw it talk about in the book where you showed up and you were like, Oh fuck. We're like, what am I gotten myself into? Oh yeah. Dude. Well, so, so I said I did my, I did my due diligence. I
0: talked to a bunch of your former people cause I knew them from, from Joe guy, my old roommate. Um, and then his former bosses and one like Mike Tarullo used to have was like, had essentially my job at bench for America, at least for a bit. Um, uh, talked to, I went to college with him, so I talked to him for a bit, um, and they all, everybody had really good things to say. But um, the biggest one was that uh, Joe Joe Guy said it best. He's like, "I'll never say anything bad by Andrew Yang because uh, being a part of it was was life changing. Like it put me on a different trajectory of what I could could be in my life." Um, and I think uh, I've had that reaction from a lot of people who work closely with you on the campaign, and that you are. Um, and what I learned from you is that you, Andrew is a magic maker, um, and I try to be a magic maker. It's like you it's like you sheer force of will. You're like we're gonna fucking run for president, and we're gonna make on um, making the fucking debate stage, and the Asians gonna line up, the techies gonna line up. I don't know how, but we're gonna do it. And if you disagree with me, respectfully, get the fuck out of my way. Like that, like that's how you operate, um, which I love. Uh, I really love, and it's a really good. It's like almost. Not completely blind optimism, but it's almost right where it's because you you do look at the the negatives. And you're a very rational, logical guy, but you like you're like I'm choosing to ignore those because we have to be laser focused on the right mission. So anyway, so I join. I'm like Andrew's got me this all hyped up. I'm all jacked up. It's my first day. We're like, hey, we're staying in my mom's apartment in Hell's Kitchen for a little bit till we you know figure hey, out our campaign. Yeah. And uh, there was a guy living there, but I showed up and I was like, you know, it's like the first day in the rest of my life type energy. And I get there and it's like, like Muhan's not even awake yet. The guy living in the apartment smells like dude. There's just boxes of books like fuck. There's a picture of this like it, the, in the book. Uh, like, yeah, It's like you, there's boxes of books everywhere. Um, there's nowhere to sit, really.
1: Uh, it's not a good Wi-Fi is not
0: fast enough for three or four people. <laughs> uh, like... It, it was, and like, no one's worked on a campaign before. Like, Frawley, who, was a, who ended up running our merch, um, was like a, he worked in digital advertising. He's like 23, I think. Muhan uh, was like a engineer from a, I think, Venture for America startup that didn't go, go well. Um, and me, and then eventually Carly and, and Matt. Um, and Matt was like an LSAT teacher at the time. Like, brilliant policy wonk, but... No politics. Carly never worked on a campaign. Uh, yeah, that was pretty. And there were a few others, but that was. Uh, <laughs> that
1: so was yeah, I, I remember man. you showing up, and then the apartment, you know, was, was not suitable for anything. And then one of my first things was like, "Hey, man, go find us an office." Dude. Yes. Uh, and you did a great job. You found us a dope, we op- found a, a fun office that so we ended up <laughs> taking over that building in a way. Yeah. So the the office was on 39th Street, uh, off of. Um, oh, between 7th and 8th Avenues. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's adjacent to Times Square. It was right next to both a nice, um, fast casual sushi place, oh. uh, next to a comic book shop I used to frequent in my 20s. nice. That I stopped I knew doing. That. It was on
0: 40th and 7th. And right next to a sports bar called Carragher's that uh, there was like a healthy smell of fried food coming out. Yeah, the I was like, so you often. found
1: this office, and the office was hardwood floors. High ceilings, natural light. Yep. Uh, it was uh, maybe like twenty eight hundred square feet or something yeah. like yeah, along yeah. those lines. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it, it had a really good vibe to it. Yeah. Um, I don't know how into physical spaces you are. Um, I'm pretty into them in the sense that uh, if you have a place with natural light and hardwood floors and high ceilings and like has a good energy and people want to be there. Um, I'm, so I I saw a couple of these spaces and I think I seized on that office and was like, we got to get this office. Was that, was (laughs) that right? That sounds about right. Um,
0: did a lot. Yeah. That was my first real big task was finding an office. Um, and then you were, you were crazy risk seeking, which I, I I learned to love, but at first, like my brain could not handle. I remember like the first, I remember looking at our financials, like, all right, we've got like. And we were always kind of tight. Like, we were at, like, three months of burn. Uh, yeah, which, for those of you who have never really worked at a startup, means if if you don't raise any more money over the next three months, we will run out of cash based on, like, our current run rate, how much we're spending per month. And then it was, like, three months of burn, and then you walked in one day, you're like, guys, we just hired Matt Shinners. He's going to be our head of policy. And I was like, all right, move on. I think it's one month of burn now. <laughs> like, we're like, uh... But you were like, go for it. I remember we didn't have enough money to hire Carly. Well, no, we were trying to hire a video editor, could not find one. Uh, we eventually hired this guy, Luke, for a bit, and then f- eventually leveled up to, to hire a bunch, but couldn't find one. But then we met Carly, who we like, I obviously I didn't maybe love at the time, I but I'm engaged to her now, so it's different. But at the, at the time <laughs> not there, but um but we all loved her and we're like, this is good energy. We couldn't, like, if we're honest, Carly like, was clearly brilliant. Yeah. She's like definitely special and was helpful. Um, but we're like, she had no video editing skills really. Uh, like, <laughs> And you're like, just do it, man. This will work out. I'm like, okay, man. Uh, it did work out. Ballsy move, but because uh, we couldn't afford, we could barely afford the video editor, uh, which we still didn't hire at the time. Uh, yeah obviously she was a great hire for a number of reasons yeah, yeah.
1: No, i i i do remember you being like hey we have this much uh runway and then i i kept uh throwing logs on the fire and, yep. then, and then the runway kept shrinking i was like yeah don't worry about it don't worry about <laughs> it we will we'll, we'll get the money um that that i was you know confident yeah. that was a,
0: one of the things Frawley said to me early on and i was because like it was one day you in particular like super risk-seeking i was like i'm like i don't know what to do man like do i need it am i just like am i just along for the ride here because i don't think this makes any sense And he goes. All I know about Andrew is that when his back is against the wall, he was not going to lose. Like if you tell him, like, "Hey, payday's due tomorrow. We need to, we need to fucking raise all of it right now." Like he'll raise the money. Uh, That's true. You're good at that. Um, I don't know if it's like a. It's not a
1: procrastination thing. You're not like a. uh, I'm like a fairly buttoned-up, hard-nosed operator. Yeah. Um, but the the deltas at that point in the campaign just did not concern me. Yeah. I, I was like plus minus fifty, hundred grand. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out. All right. All right. You know, it was, um, it was like, look, we're trying to raise, you know, millions, uh, <laughs> tens of millions. So it's we like don't you know, love if, what uh, we love it, we don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like if I have to worry about hundred grand, then we're kind it of does. doomed. Yes. So, so don't worry about hundred grand. Like, yep. uh, let me. And that was it.
0: Uh, and then uh, we were scheduled, and that mentality like pretty much hit us. Once we booked Joe Rogan, so that, that was booked like six weeks in advance. Like it's, uh, uh, which I'm going to get ahead of myself, but we yeah, were yeah. We'd burned out. Like we were pretty much bankrupt that day. Like that's how I nice. looked at it. Uh, <laughs> I was like, all right,
1: better. spending Joe better hit. <laughs> well, so, I mean, we can, we can build up to that. But the, yeah, so yeah, the dates sure. we're talking about, what was your first day of work on the campaign? It was April. F- I think it was like March 1st early march 2018 all right so let me tell you let let me tell everyone what happened in terms of before zach joined i was very eager for zach to join i was like man if zach doesn't join i don't know what we're going to do for uh for leadership and like uh, operational capacity oh yeah you Uh, also
0: needed a peer you had a bunch like the i mean probably they're great guys but they're a lot younger than you you know um i mean i was i mean i was what i got you got like 11 years on me something like that but like at least i had worked i had a decade almost a decade experience like Corporate America You're an adult.
1: and that sort of thing, yeah. yeah <laughs> Probably a second, a, a second adult. I mean, Chinner's <laughs> is an adult too, but Chinner's wasn't as uh... He was a couple weeks later too. Yeah, he was a couple he weeks later. later at the time. Uh, so he had a different type of role. Yeah. So, uh, so in 2017, um, I spent the fall um, in my mom's apartment um, with Muhan, uh, just building the website yep. policies, putting the finishing touches on the book. Um, and so the campaign was announced to the world of the New York Times in February of 2018. Yes. Where it's like, you know, his message, the robots are coming.
0: Yes, uh, his campaign message. You had hat hair in the photo. I didn't know that at the time, but hair, if you look at that
1: photo, your hair is like. Probably yes, <laughs> <laughs> almost certainly it's not a bad yes. photo though. Uh, um, and, and then my book came out in April of 2018. So yep. you joined between those two dates. And between those two dates, we were still very much finding our footing. Uh, and um, the the year you describe in the in the book, you know that process where we were uh, just getting our, our legs under us. Um, a bit later in that year, and I'm surprised that you didn't go into detail in the book about this. But mm. there was the Humanity First uh, tour, like oh the, like, yeah, that first tour, which was in 2018. And you were literally the bus driver. So one of the jokes on the campaign early on was that we were That's the shittiest start. drivers anyone had ever seen. Oh, because Carly, for all of, our, her, all of her gifts, went away to school and was like, not uh, an experienced driver. Tarly,
0: yeah, yeah, Carly can't drive. She, uh, to her credit, she admits she's a bad driver, uh, yeah, which I do love that about her.
1: That was a, that was a, a virtue. Our, <laughs> our, our videographer at the time, Luke Hansen. Uh, Luke, we love you. Driver. <laughs> <Good> driver.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh like you know I, I and for whatever reason um it, it came to you you were like the um like the camp counselor bus driver. Yep. Um and so we decided to go on this tour because Liam DeClydeblow this freaking at the time 19-year-old shows up at our doorstep and is like, "Hey, you know, I got this like, you know, political vision and think that you know (laughs) yang is the right combination of this and that but then for whatever reason liam's like hey you guys need to go on tour and then i was like that's stupid because no one would show up to said tour and then he said that's why you have to go on tour and then for whatever reason that logic worked on me (laughs) 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 and then i turned to you and was like hey man i think we should go on tour and you to your credit this is like maybe the biggest lift in the campaign before or after, where you were like, "All right, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this tour," and that tour, holy shit! Like where, like it was so janky, where so we would janky. show up in the bus, and you and Carly, like I, I um, was blown away that you were sitting there together, like erecting this like shoddy backdrop and stage yeah. and not not shoddy because you know you weren't awesome just the fact that you would get oh, in this bus and take the things out and so we went to pittsburgh we went to detroit we went to cleveland i think it, it was uh, cleveland. chicago
0: cleveland pittsburgh trying to think i think we added a couple bigger cities like though we did iowa new hampshire uh they were in there it's probably close to all of them so i didn't so a couple of these things miss made the cutting room floor because there's only so much you can write about how shitty we were. And so I think that's where our editor is like, probably not. And also was trying to keep it moving and keep it, you know, but, um, so we did so a couple of things. So this is fun. If anyone knows Liam who, uh, runs humanity forward, um, the five, C four, he shows up to your, I didn't get, I like I just joined. So I didn't, I was not aware of like the team calendar or Yang's meetings, that sort of thing. So he shows up like, a couple weeks after I'd started to your mom's apartment, He's in high waters. He looks like he's 10. Uh, and he's a hyper nerd, like speaking a mile a minute, just all about political jargon and that sort of thing. And he sits me down I'm like, who is this kid? What Yang, what meeting have you just taken? Like, what is going on? And he sits me down and gives me this like framework for how someone should run for president. And it's, we still use it on the, like, it's brilliant. Um, and he's a political junkie. And he, f- he joined the Bernie campaign before he took off. He joined the Beto campaign. That's why he couldn't work for us full-time at the time. He joined Beto before Beto O'Rourke was a thing in Texas. He's very, very good at finding these candidates. Um, or um, And and Yang was like his third, looks like hit, if you will. Um, and so, but yeah, he's a he's young. Um, this is the type of people that would come in the office all the time. But then we did this Humanity First tour. I remember asking him like, this is like the dumb questions we'd have to ask ourselves. Like, besides raising money, Like, what are you supposed to do when you're running for president? Because you can't just go. I mean, you could like spend. Like That sounds like a dumb, stupid question, but actually think about it. Like do you spend all your time like trying to talk to Iowa voters. Are you trying to get press all day long? Are you trying to throw a rally? Like, what are you supposed to do? And the answer is like, no one really knows. Um, It's pretty much anything you want, but you want some form of to drive money, polling, and crowd sizes, right? Um, and Or essentially uh, polling and press. Um, I talk about those kind of three cars all connected. Um, so if you're money, so imagine three cars, you have money, you have press, and you have crowds, and they're all connected by a chain. And so if you have one that's really fast, but the other two suck, it'll oh, slow okay. you down. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they can pull the others forward, but they hold you back. Um, you want them all cranking, and we had none we're, we're over we're not, three. We're over <laughs> three, but yeah, Liam's like you should go on tour just to see if you know get some content of you speaking and see what happens if uh, crowd wise. See if you can get used to building for events and such. So we did, and I drove a 15 person passenger van. It was wild. Uh, those are awful to drive. Uh,
1: we, I, I, I really felt for you, just like parking that thing. Oh, man. Uh, you know, it got towed in Chicago. Oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. got we got towed in Chicago. Oh, and my wife, Evelyn, showed up to that event in Chicago with the kids. I <laughs> forgot about that. Ev showed up. And then we had, so we got these, like, uh, I basically got a
0: big-ass, uh, they're called a step-and-repeat, yeah. if you will. They use like, these big galas that had, like, Humanity First Tour on it, like Universal Basic Income, Yang 2020. We tried a couple messages, uh, and then we had to get it to all the events. So we actually ended up buying two of them and like flew one that took one to Iowa and other places. Uh, and there was no trunk space in this van. So like, but the best, the open space in the middle, so we had all the shit in the middle of it and then Carly and Liam were typically in the back. So we'd go like four hour, 10 hour drives, like two of us in the front and two of us literally 15, you know, let's call it six rows away in the back. It was very strange. Uh, we had these like shitty risers, like milk cartons, for Andrew to stand I, on. I remember vividly getting on top of the milk carton. Yeah, and like a shitty uh, AV system because we did these events at like a Detroit, whoever would do it for free, like Detroit, Detroit Bike Factory. Thank you,
1: thank you, my friend Zach Bishak.
0: Yeah, they're awesome, really, really good entrepreneurs that like liked you. They'd heard you on Sam Harris or other places. Um, but talk about like we try to get press to come. No, no press was coming. Almost, we almost had someone come, but yeah, it was like we just did events that no one gave a shit about.
1: Calling local reporters, being like, "Hey, Andrew Yang is coming to town." Yes, we would. uh, We took you would take
0: a photo because we would get Chicago. We got a couple hundred people, and that was cool. A lot of Sam Harris fans of Chicago, apparently, Um, but. We, you know, like Iowa or Detroit, you know, you're not getting more than like 20 to 40, but you'd take the photo like angled over someone's shoulder to make the crowd look bigger, you know? And so that's how you knew if you ever, you guys want like a good tip. If you see some, a politician post a photo and it looks like they've zoomed in tight to the crowd.
1: It means you no know one there, was there. there was
0: no one there. Yeah. You know,
1: uh, it's a good, anyway. So that was wild. Now uh, that, that tour. Wow. Um, so, so that was one of the defining experiences yeah. of 2018.
0: Oh, we are trying to perfect your stump speech too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. get better at that too. Because it's hard, it's different than the other speeches you were normally giving, you know?
1: Yeah, so uh, around this time, uh, and you, you start getting into this in the book, uh, is where we start out with a particular thesis um, which is that we should go to Andrew's fancy friends, uh, who can write checks yeah. and, uh, have events and then ask them for money. The maximum you could give at the time was maybe $2,800, something like that. So if you do some math and be like, Hey, you know, you get 20 people to give you 2800 That's uh $56,000. Like you're going to a monthly
0: burn. Yeah. So that's great. Uh,
1: let, let's go do that. Yep. Um, and then you painstakingly detail in the book why that did not happen. <laughs> and one of the things that made me laugh out loud was like, so here's here's the order of operations. Um, I call a friend of mine, I'm like, hey man, I'm running for president. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know. i be like, hey, will you have an event for me? And then it's hard to say no to someone when they're on the phone with you when you're their friend. So they're like, sure, sure. Um, so then I then email and be like, thanks, man. Uh, CCing my campaign, manager <laughs> Zach. Zach who <laughs> could like uh, help plan the event. And then you talk about how they try and like duck, duck you, like they don't get back to you. And then eventually you move them to get a date on the calendar. And then you, you, you say the book and, and then my suffering became theirs <laughs> <laughs> because then they had the job of trying to get people to come to an event for the uh, for like, Andrew Yang presidential campaign uh and they they start out with these visions of being like oh everyone's gonna donate 500 bucks to be there and then when they find that doesn't work then they start downgrading it to free.
0: <laughs> it's free uh, they'll donate after they get here
1: they don't like uh, you know, andrew will be so
0: compelling that like that they, that they they will Yep. nope never happened it was uh i have the whole there's a whole chapter in there why why fundraising for campaigns sucks it's awful um it's one of the biggest gatekeepers to our shitty political system is that you have to raise money. You have to play the quantity game with rich people because you can't, if you're young, if you're new to this, you can't crowdfund your way to relevance out the gate. Because everyone thinks you can and you cannot. Yeah, you cannot because you need, think about it, you need tens and tens and tens of thousands of people giving you I'm going to demonstrate
1: for you the, the logic that everyone uses that is a thousand percent wrong. Do it. Hey, I've got 10,000 Twitter followers. So if only 10% of them give me uh, 25 bucks each, that means that I'll be able to raise 25,000 dollars by uh, just just my Twitter followers if I send a tweet. Yep. In real life, how much will that tweet raise for that person? 200 dollars. Yeah, probably like you know. And uh, one person will give a hundred bucks.
0: Yeah. It'll be 10 people max will donate, Uh, unless they're used to donating
1: to you. but even that'd be low. Yeah. So, um, so getting people to donate to our campaign in 2018 was really hand-to-hand combat. We had like a bell we'd ring every time do- someone donated. Remember yep. that? Um, I would personally send an email or a note to someone, yep. everyone who donated for a while, and then they'd be like, "Is this really? Is this real? Real?" And I'd be mm-hmm. like, yep. "Well, thank yeah. Thank you for your
0: six-dollar donation. Yeah, we appreciate that, you. That, <laughs> thank
1: you. You know, this, yep. that, that's one of the things you have to do to try and cultivate early su- supporters." So, uh, but you write in the in the book about how uh, the average yield from these events was? I mean, you had a number.
0: Ma- I can't remember with $2,300, like something, it was less than the max, I think. It was like 4,600. I mean, it was forty six. It was less than yeah. like, if the couple, du- yeah, that was less than the couple max, that's it. Yeah. 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 Um, and, I should get used to nailing my numbers from the book though, because you were good at that when you talked to me. You so one, talk, one of yeah. the funny
1: things too, is I would remember a- an event being a dud because we had lots of dud events. Yep. Um, But I couldn't blame you. I couldn't blame my friend. The only person I could blame is me (laughs) for not being cool enough that people want to donate just to show up and hear me talk or even donate after hearing me talk because I'm so compelling so yeah so from my perspective it was like well no one to blame but myself
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh it was awful i have a whole chapter like a page in there on like how the bullshit we would say to ourselves like each other to like build each other that was funny too <laughs> Like, like, we like don't to worry man they'll donate next time or uh oh this person uh this famous person had heard of you they're excited look at they're following you on twitter like you try to distract you like that kool-aid we were drinking yeah
1: and then we were like distracting each other because i will say to you if i was self-conscious at all it was not for my own sake, but it was for for you because I'm like, oh shit, Zach might get demoralized if like you know the, these things yeah, keep, both, keep just being duds. Um, because again, yeah. like I would look in the mirror and be like, well, it's clearly on me for just not being good no. enough or cool enough. Um, I don't. Did you feel self conscious at the time that you were like, hey, I'm not able to? Probably not. You probably but, just blamed me too. <laughs> I didn't. Bl- I
0: mean, it was tough to blame you because of how awful it was. You know, it was just honestly. Um, who did I blame? I, I didn't, you didn't know, like for me, I'm a big, like, try everything once or as many times you can not see what's you did. You didn't blame did. anyone, that's good, yeah, man. Not really, yeah. I mean, like, there were times I was like, it was more like, I, you know, like a big thing to me was, uh, where I would get mad at is some of the fundraisers or the people being full of shit. Um, oh, and there some was of, so
1: much full of shitness. Yes. Like there's still a couple people. I'm like, like, I'm gonna raise like, you tens of thousands of dollars and like nothing. Oh no, and the worst, worst part is, oh, okay, here's the deal. I have tried to raise money for people and failed that's just hard though and, yeah and and that is acceptable but if that happens i damn well better max out yeah <laughs> so, so like, so at least say, like agree, hey, my wife and i at least gonna pay more the, than we thought we that's would. that's the egregious bad. thing yes is that if someone really exerts themselves or no i mean they, they couldn't exert themselves that much because like if they're not able to do it then they just cut the check themselves which is by the way not you know what what they said they were going to try and do or whatnot right Uh, And there are people who a 1,000% could afford that easily. Yes, and they didn't. And that's what was frustrating. And and so that was the frustrating thing for both of us, where we would go to a home, and the the home was very fancy. It was easily worth millions and millions of dollars. And then that person would not donate like a $1,000 or $2,000, despite opening their home up to friends and then being like, hey we should support this person. Sometimes even saying like, I'm supporting them. And then you're and then like- And they didn't. And they didn't. And then you're a little bit like, like, hey, like uh, you didn't tell all your fuck, friends that you donated. Um, so, so like watching things like that unfold, it was a little bit like, you know, like, like, no, people are full of shit. And like, I don't where, where, Where's the character? <laughs> and yes, it was a
0: lack of integrity. And so now, like, I make a note, like, if a friend of mine. It's got to be a good friend, like, someone, like, in my circle. But, like, if someone asks, like, hey, I'm fundraising, like, I will donate. I, I, not, I'm not rich, so, like, I'll give what I can. Because when we did it, they were random friends of mine, like, like fringe friends or random colleagues or friend of a friend that would be like, I'm in, man, just donated, right? And those people, like, I always made me feel a joy. I'm like, thank you. And I had some best friends that didn't do shit. And um it's the i call Foss full of shit. um and that was we you know we felt that all the time
1: um politics brings, yeah, that brings out, brings out a lot of people uh, and, um, you know people so uh it was a step worse for me i think as the candidate so yeah, for you were the people, they were you were, they were like i tried my friends but a very different like to yeah it was and a even step for harder. you i mean you you know you felt strongly about it and you were clearly taking a risk and you know right. you were dedicating your career so if someone Loves you and supports you, they'd be like, oh, I should be right, yeah, friends. Us right. Yeah. Um, but for the candidate, it's like, you know, direct. Yeah. So, like, you know, yeah. You know, someone says,
0: my friend Andrew's running for office, and like, now's the time, and I'm not going to donate. They never fucking donate. You know, that's it.
1: Yeah. And so, did I lose friends? Totally. Yep. Like, am I still pissed off at like some people that uh, were close to me who just, like, you could tell were like more concerned about how it would reflect on them? Yeah. <laughs> are you totally, kidding me totally yeah dude. um so th- so that stuff uh you know what that means
0: man they were never actually a friend that's what i learned when i left ubs there were people that like essentially stop answering my calls and texts or stop coming to things i was throwing and it's because they were my friend because of like friend of convenience now it's like that's a thing in life where it's like you have the same you know have the same Peers, you work at similar types of jobs and neighborhoods and social circles and restaurants and all that bullshit. Cool I
1: thought you were going to use a different word there. I thought you were going to say like friend of uh, like status or friend of utility. Mm. Because if you were let's yeah, say in, friend, in yeah. wealth wealth management at UBS, then people would be like, oh, like this person could be really useful. Oh, if I had my don't suit up, yeah. yeah, because I was tied to the job or
0: the status or yeah, yeah. Um, yes.
1: So when, when someone takes on a role where they can no longer do things for people, and then people then lose interest in that person. So that that's like a utility uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, sad. Yeah,
0: it's sad. Because it's, I grew up, like my parents, my parents were weird, and I love them to death. They're fun, they're like great, but they had weird weird nerdy friends, like a, a lot. And I was always, I you was know, a kid, and like, it says I got like in that middle school, high school, too cool for school phase, and I like, never really understood. But as I got older, I understood my parents have friends that would take a bullet for them, and they still to this day, right? If I throw, I've thrown surprise parties for my parents, and these friends are the type that will fly from Buffalo or from Connecticut or in Florida, wherever it is, to come. And they wouldn't miss that for the world, right? It's like that uh, – they may have, like – they may be weird. They may – you know, their kids are weird or, like, whatever. But – um, a real friend and my parents ever valued that and I didn't it took me a while to learn that it actually took me leaving UBS to realize what the hell a friend means like a friend loves at all times Um, and that shit's biblical so it it was very yeah I wrote about this in the book no one gives a shit most people do not give a shit they say they do they act like they do uh, on a high level but a lot of people, as soon as your utility runs out or the social status runs out, they don't give a shit. And those, the worst part, I'm gonna go ahead. Those are the same people that are gonna talk about how good of a friend they are to you and how well they know you when you are having success later. You're like, oh, that injury, like someone saw my injury angle. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, throw a fundraiser for them. Or, yeah, I'm close friends I got a cell phone right here. Fuck you, pardon my French. But those are the worst, the worst, it's just fake. Drive me nuts, sorry. Yeah. Though I will say virtually everyone who threw a fundraiser for me, like, you know, like the good yes, the ones who I I mean down the stretch is a shock. I'm like certain like we'd go to fundraisers and raise a hundred grand. You're like Um Yes. Yeah. Yeah, mind blowing down the stretch, yeah.
1: Yeah, so uh so during twenty eighteen, what were what was like the darkest moment for you if you had one? Do you remember? Because uh, you, you read that there's like the chapter mm. in the book. Uh 2018 darkest moment because so and we're going to talk about the in the next uh, chapter of this conversation um, like the turning point of the campaign when it went positive and then like what the lessons uh, you had Um, so so the the book goes through um, I'd say several phases and phase one uh, is like the dark days essentially Mm -hmm. (laughs) the darkest.
0: So there was still like that hope and optimism in the early days, right? Um, and then Sam Harris was a healthy lift, and that was June, I think, May. Yeah. And so there was this hope that if we got the message out there to the right audiences or any big audience in the right format, it would work because we we raised a good amount of money and had some decent crowds. I mean. 100 people in Chicago, or almost 300 people in Chicago, if I recall, that's bigger than everybody but the top six candidates at the time we're getting in terms of crowd sizes. Um, pretty much, yeah. Um, so like we had that, we didn't have legitimacy, but the, I would say the darkest days were sometime between Sam Harris and before we found out we are going on Joe Rogan. Um, because it was like, I don't see a- Late 2018 lever. was a difficult time. Yes.
1: So, so, uh, I, so the summer, uh, I'm on Sam, Sam Harris, and then right out of that, I get invited to speak at the Iowa Wingding. That's right, which, which felt like a big deal. Yes, yeah. um, oh, yeah. and, and the fact that I went to the Iowa Wingding is probably what eventually landed us on the um, Iowa poll that ended up determining uh, debate qualification. That was New
0: Year's or so when we found yeah, out. But yeah, but for
1: whatever reason, you uh, that we had a running joke that you didn't. Like Iowa, because like you, you were tied up that weekend. My brother got married that weekend. Yeah, that's yeah. a big deal. I was, I was, was so amazing. pumped to
0: go, and it was my brother's wedding. And I was like, obviously, Jordan'd be fine if I missed rehearsal dinner. And you're yeah. like, dude, stop! <laughs> yeah, just, go, <laughs> just, just go, go, to the wedding. Stop! I was I'm the best man. Anymore. Like, please stop! <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so we're like, we're <laughs> not having this conversation. Yeah, you're totally missing crazy. Iowa. <laughs> um, so so uh, I go, go to out. Iowa, um, and then there's this period during the summer where it feels like we're um, making headway. But then like, the end of 2018, I thought, was a tough time. Um, mm-hmm. And the midterms really ended up blotting out a lot of political energy. Like no one, because like, mm-hmm. the only people in the field at that time I think were like John Delaney and me. Um, and yep. so like no one was thinking about it. But one, one of the tougher times, times, and we managed to frame it positively, is we had a New Year's fundraiser that year uh, that lost money that yeah. at least one person asked for a refund um, yeah. because they were, you know, so disappointed in now the it.
0: refund, she was, a little, I, don't, I don't think she was justified in the refund. The party wasn't that bad. Like, we did give the, we did have open bar and food and decent crowd. But yeah, we did lose money. Yeah, <laughs> it's not great.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it failed on its own terms because yeah, it was theoretically a fundraiser. It was theoretically a fundraiser. It was definitely a camera <laughs> angle type thing. Um, so we, you know, yeah. took some good pictures. But I remember that this person was disappointed enough. And I, I think it was like a, what, what what pained me about, about um her was, was that she, she was clearly a supporter mm-hmm. um and, and then, then she showed up and because it didn't feel like real enough she actually felt, felt like it reflected negatively, negatively, negatively on her that yes. she
0: was I can't believe I would support this or whatever yeah because
1: say. like you know it didn't feel like yeah you know like it was uh, significant enough. And so then we obviously we gave her a refund and we're like, yeah, yeah sure, right, sorry. Of course, yeah. Um, but I, I do remember thinking, it's like, well, this is not a good sign because I, I'd yeah. thrown New Year's Eve parties that made money, uh, you know, as just like, a, uh, just as a party.
0: Yep. <laughs> yes. That was my biggest thing. A lot of people didn't want to spend New Year's related to politics in the slightest as in hindsight learned that. Um, anyway, uh, but I will, I will say this, like you... I say this as, as, like, as a friend, like, and I can say this in hindsight now, like knowing you better. You were taking a lot of the stress and weight of the campaign personally during those times. Like, you were not as probably happy as I've, I saw you. Like, to, like from June 2000 or let's call it May. Post Joe Rogan is a bit of a roller coaster. Like, it's not fair to evaluate anyone's personality during that like year stretch, but. Knowing you and like your normal baseline of happiness, like you were like stressed then, um, taking a lot of the shit personally. It wasn't every day, but it was it was it was hard on you. It was hard on all of us. Um, the dog days of the campaign it was like winter 2018. Winter 2018 was the tough. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I'd say that. No that one was... cared. Midterms had just happened, and we're always like after midterms, everyone will care, and no one was fucking caring. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the
1: new candidates were declaring all the time, yeah. and uh, we we were not part of the conversation. Yep. Uh, you yep. know, I'd, I'd show up to something and like people would totally, uh, if not ignore me, like definitely there was like, a, a lot of tacit snubbing going on. Yep.
0: <laughs> oh man. It was, uh, yeah, I wrote, I have a sample email, it's a verbatim email that I wrote to a reporter who like left you. It was like the only, it was like basically he Castro, I think announced. And it was like the only other candidate who's announced his campaign is John Delaney. And I was like. And us, remember and us, Yang talk about, about us. We were the free hugs guy in their eyes. You know, we were, there's, as so I talk about this, like we had to, this is like a point of the book. So we had to compete, not just with, um, so there's, well, it's like 1500 Democrats, I think that run for office every year. It's 3000 people in across the party run for president, sorry, run for president every cycle. And there's, they're only like 29, let's call it major candidates. So, What's the difference between those 29 and the other thousands uh, is legitimacy. And so the Free Hugs guy runs. There was a woman named Lisa Simpson we met who legally changed her name to be like the Simpsons character. Like she's running for office. Like Yang was that to some uh, in the early days. And to be fair, there wasn't much difference on paper. Besides, I mean, you were an impressive guy, but some of these people are you know, regular business folks. Um, and we had raised some money, but we were trying to get out of that, you know, um, and that was hard. Um But and that was the thing. So it wasn't we learned this very quickly um, and painfully was that we are in the attention economy, which means attention is the most valuable resource in order to get all the other resources you like, like time and money. Attention is it. And what does that mean? It didn't mean we were just we weren't just competing with the other candidates not only the free hugs guy we weren't competing against Liz Warren and Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and, and the, the usual suspects alone. We were also competing against Taylor Swift and Kim Kardashian and the HBO hit series, whatever it is that Friday night and Netflix and whatever, Spotify, whatever is your friends are texting you, everything that you're getting information loaded onto you. We had to compete with that too. Um, and that actually changed the equation because we didn't have to be, uh, like if we didn't do everything Kirsten Gillibrand was doing, it actually didn't matter because no one was paying attention to her either. We had to, we could just, we just had to stand out um, and get people to realize we existed. And so that kind of flipped the the mentality. It was like, we need to, uh, we, I ended up calling it create an identity brand where people can identify with Andrew um, to make you relevant.
1: Which ended up being the birth of the Yang Gang, which you can take direct credit for because um, though it was uh, an organic yeah, internet. Someone on the internet r- creation really created it, but yeah. Um, but then uh, you built on it, despite some resistance. The team hated it. I- internally, so um, <laughs> so the, the next segment of this conversation is going to be essentially like when the dynamic shifts and we grow uh, and all of that. But g- give us a glimpse of what ends up fueling the campaigns Ascent, as chronicled in Longshot.
0: So how do you compete in the attention economy? Two ways, it's volume and relevance. Volume is like Bud Light marketing, which I'm talking about in the book, is that when people just beat you into submission with their ads or their content, right? It's why Target emails you 20 times a day or... Bud Light has a thousand commercials. It's not because they have anything new to offer. They just want you to know they're there. We did not have enough money to do volume. Um, So we had to go the relevance route. We had to make you relevant and relevant to who. Um, And we needed to make you relevant to people that would easily connect. So we created what I call identity branding, where folks identify with you. And um, the, the ways I talk about the book where you create a like us persona you find your tribe and you let them in. And so the like us persona was branding you in a way that I felt like, like you say, like us in front of us, like, like us, we are forward looking and logical. I mean, like math or an entrepreneur or whatever it is. Right. Um, I mean, you could say about any, there's a lot of good brand, like target, Disney, they do this well. Right. But letting people know, this is where we are. Like us, you can be like us. And then we had to go find them and, um, finding them, We really wanted something that was visceral where people could identify with. Um, So if you think about 2016, as it was the the recent example we were looking at, it was like, if you were voting for John Kasich or Ted Cruz, what would you say? Like, I'm team Kasich or I'm voting for Ted. There was nothing there. But Trump, what would you say? Like people would say, I'm MAGA. Or sometimes I'm on the Trump train, but I'm MAGA, make America great again. And it was this visceral, like right here. People felt connected to the Donald. So we wanted that. And someone posted, so Andrew's army felt lame. Uh, Team Andrew didn't work. And then we saw Yang, like hashtag Yang Gang on a, like in one of our early posts. And I was like, that's it. That's it. Because it's visceral. And you can say, I'm Yang Gang. Or like, I'm kind of Yang Gang. Am I in the, you can say using a sentence better. Um, and I remember saying to the team was like, we're calling it Yang Gang, and they hated it. Like Carly was like, you know, it sounds like gang bang, like no one's gonna like it, it's weird. And then uh, I remember saying, all right, fine. You have to come up with a better idea in a, like, I think it was like 10 days or a week, or if not, we're going with Yang Gang. Um, and they didn't because it was good. It was good for us. You know, I, don't, I wouldn't recommend Joe Biden calling, like having a gang, but for us, it was a way to rally our supporters and help them feel part of the campaign um, and then um, from there on we had to go find that tribe because actually when we first announced Yang Gang it didn't like take off it was like a slow burn if you will If you, I don't know if you remember
1: correctly but so uh, approximately what month was this? It was
0: it was probably early January I think we did a Yang Gang we started using it and early January 2019 and I think we had a we wanted to up our just we just thought it was better to have more donors uh, from our email
1: list. So we we actually started taking Venmo. Uh, I remember trying to take money through Venmo, but I, I I kind of was like, oh, we should do it totally because that's like the easiest thing for a young yes. person. So we then got people giving us one dollar via Venmo, um,
0: yeah. which is uh, we violated a whole bunch of ABC rules doing that. We had to go back and paper that. it up. It's fine. Yeah, it fine. Got the it fine. It was great because we had like a you know, it's five, 4,000, 5,000 person email lists, And it got us like 50% of that email list eventually donated, which is really good if like for numbers wise, because it was so simple. Just click and send a Venmo dollar.
1: Um, well, this truly is uh, the beginning of the rise because it's January, 2019. Uh, and uh, around then they announced the criteria to get on the debate stage, which was the push to get 65,000 individual donors.
0: Sam Harris helped a lot. We knew like what we wanted to be. And then we just needed to find them. And so, the traditional playbook where you get the pundits and the the, uh, the endorsers and the mainstream media and the high-dollar donors and the political consultants, we weren't getting any of those. So we had to go the other way. When we went podcasts and alternative media and social media. I do um, a lot of Wired and uh, tech press. Yeah. Uh, when I say we built the Yang Gang in the book, I say we built the Yang Gang with podcasts, memes, and math. Uh, and so podcasts were like this long-form way to get your message out. Uh, with people who were more ripe to hear it, I think. Um, And you got really good at talking on podcasts. Um, You had a lot of practice in 2018 and Sam Harris. You really refined it. And by Joe Rogan, you were in your zone. You pretty much did all of them in the middle of 2019, all your big ones. Um, And then memes were like a fun way to let the Yang gang in, where they could make my favorite meme I talk about in the book, and you guys can find this. It's like the Arnold Schwarzenegger, terminator meme where he's uh he's riding a motorcycle next to a uh and there's he's saving john connor who's also riding a motorcycle and there's a big semi truck coming and is about to crush john connor and terminator comes up and pulls him out of the way and the truck crushes john connor's motorcycle and it's like andrew yang's john connor and the truck is automation and john connor or andrew yang's the terminator saving john connor john is the american economy or whatever it is um but we post american that worker uh, yeah. yeah we post that on the official yang like social accounts and it was like yang can meme it was like one of the first and that was like rock toaster or whatever his name was on twitter it was like the handle it was pretty funny um but we started just leaning into memes all the time and they were a really good way to like make it fun uh secure the bag like stuff like that started coming out um and we just like if the yang gang posts something fun we fired it up right we leaned into it in the beginning you were still like a business speaker you know um and i joke in the we were trying to get you to fire up the crowd. And it's like not your natural, uh, you can do really well now. But at the beginning, it was not, you never had to really. Yeah, no. Uh, Hitting like, emotional a, chords was not the fucking tenor. Schedule. And so we were trying to get you like fire people up. And you were just like, to your credit, like really trying, trying to figure this out. And you like give all your you know, your speech. and Everybody's captivated. And then you're like, now who's with me or whatever? Like you were like, it was like kind of, it was, it was a, uh, it wasn't landing. And Frawley had the idea is like, why don't we just give people math signs? Like what? He's like, yeah. So when he says numbers, people can be like, math. And we're like, I don't know. That might be fucking brilliant, man. <laughs> so it was a. Uh, so it was in Baltimore, right? We rolled it Was those in Baltimore. Out. It was right after Joe Rogan. We hadn't really hit a hit yet because it just came out, right? Um, but it was a decent crowd, and a couple hundred people. And we had fucked up so many ways in this rally. Like, so first of all, we had the signs, and we forgot to print them double sided. So the, the, the photos of the back of the crowd is just a white piece of paper up there. Like, oh, fuck, hold them backwards. It was awful. Um, but then we did, the other thing we fucked up, we didn't tell you that we were doing this math thing. So you're like, oh, I've looked at the numbers and then all the crowd just starts going, math! And you're like, oh. Huh. <laughs> oh. And then they went nuts again. Like, yeah! And you're like, fuck yeah, let's do some fucking math! And like, place a nuts. Uh, we're like, all right, we nailed this. Um, but it was also, you know, it was a, I loved it because it just hit this shitty stereotype we dealt with all the time right on the fucking nose, you know, where people are like, oh, you're an Asian guy, you must, you know, numbers or you're doing the math, then you're like, well, fuck yeah, I'm just gonna lean into it. Like, you know, you can't, you're gonna use it, like tease me or just diminish me. Like, fuck you, I'll wear a math hat, I'll wear a math pin, like screw you. And it was awesome because like, whoa, all right, like, well, you beat me to the punch there. Uh, let's talk about something else, right? It was. Uh, i love stuff that diffuses a bomb like that and it was uh I'm a big believer in like leaning into you authentically and the fact was you did use a lot of numbers you did like i, I do know, use a lot, lot of numbers number. you know some woman uh, like a, a media outlet was like don't use math i've worked in brand marketing forever i'll never catch on like man well screw you <laughs> we
1: get that so yeah, it, it, time. It, it, it caught on uh so on the next podcast which is going to be on thursday we're going to talk about the rise uh 2019 the debates and all of that but in the meantime get your own copy of long shot how political Nobodies that zach took andrew yang that's me national and the new playbook <laughs> that let us build a movement by first time author i'm sure not the last zach grauman zach congratulations the book is tremendous i had a blast reading it uh it was a trip down memory lane for me but anyone who had any uh investment emotionally in our campaign is going to love it and it truly is the book that a lot of people uh hoped i would write and as usual you did it and i didn't uh so congrats man (laughs) i'm so pumped for this to be in people's hands thanks man uh yeah to be continued huh?